0: Welcome back. It's a little after two thirty here in Chicago on a beautiful Saturday in the early fall, and I'm joined now by Kyle Tharp. Kyle is the founder, editor, lead writer of f w i w for what it's worth a newsletter tracking digital spending strategy. And trends in our elections. And from time to time, I'm lucky enough to catch up with him and learn more about the world of digital campaigning. Look, what he has to say is enormously important. If you, um, you know, if you read the news, if you just watch it on TV, you're seeing the tip of an iceberg, only the tip. For the rest of the picture, you need to pay attention to Kyle. Kyle, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me back on, Edwin.
0: So um, we got a lot to catch up on what, but first I think it's worth taking a step back and telling everybody why digital spending matters, where it happens, and then, you know, it, uh, and what it's used for, like persuasion versus fundraising, things like that.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I pay, <laughs> I pay attention to the digital space for a bunch of reasons, but first, you know, the way voters consume information and get their news is changing. A lot of folks get it from the radio, a lot of folks get from TV, but younger voters in particular get a ton of news and information from places like TikTok. Um, A lot of voters actually you know, learn about candidates and and political campaigns in their Facebook news feeds from stuff that their friends are sharing. So we wanna monitor that um, as well as as see how campaigns are are using those different social media platforms and, and different corners of the internet to reach specific groups of voters. Um, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's using, you know, major, you know, millions of, of dollars of ad spending on YouTube. Um, so it's super interesting. In this cycle campaigns are spending more, uh, more of their campaign budget to reach voters using digital advertising than ever before.
0: Um, and talk a little bit about the difference between spending money to raise money and spending money to move voters.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This has been in the news quite a bit lately. Um, Something that we recently noticed, uh, I think, since I last spoke with you on the show back in in June, is that Democrats are completely beating Republicans in digital spending across the board, and it's not even close. Um, A lot of what campaigns spend their money on, on Facebook advertising in particular, is for grassroots fundraising ads, trying to get their supporters to chip in five bucks to support their campaigns. Turns out Republicans are in a major sort of crisis mode uh, around digital fundraising and small dollar fundraising, and their well is kind of drying up. So, what we've seen in, in U.S. Senate races in particular, Democrats have spent around $26 million on digital ads to Republicans, $5 million. In competitive gubernatorial and House races, it's basically two to one as well, which is just nuts. You never see this um, happen. And, and part of that is because Republicans are not able to, you know, build a base of small dollar grassroots donors. There were a couple articles, I think one in The New York Times last week and one in Politico kind of outlining the reasons why for that. Um, And there's a whole bunch of different theories. Um, But at the end of the day, my favorite
0: is that Donald Trump has sucked it all up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one that I kind of ascribe to, you know, the Trump campaign is blasting out all these insane emails and and fundraising appeals online. And a lot of Republican grassroots donors have given all of their their, you know, monthly political budgets to him instead of uh, down ballot candidates, which is, uh, you know, kind of crazy to see.
0: Uh, have at it. <laughs> have at it. Uh, so. So. um so Republicans are are having trouble raising money for this stuff, yeah. which means they can't reach as many people. They certainly can't reach the mm-hmm. types of people who who are getting their news this way. Um, and that means probably lots of the people who are new registering to vote post-Dobbs, because um, that's a younger crowd. So it's interesting. Um, yeah. Can you measure... Um, not just spend, but also enthusiasm online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there are a couple tools that we use to to monitor how voters are engaging with a given campaign's content online, whether they're liking or sharing different posts on Facebook or Instagram. Um, And we can actually see that and compare it to to historical data, which is super interesting. Obviously, I think one of the biggest stories about the internet and politics this cycle has been uh, John Fetterman's campaign for U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh, sort of having these meme wars with Dr. Oz, uh, just really crazy, you know, sharing tons of, of fun content, um, making fun of Dr. Oz from being New Jersey and whatever. And that has really it's
0: pretty fun- one sided war.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's really fired up uh Democrats not only in Pennsylvania but around the country. And so John Fetterman is consistently getting more shares, comments, reactions on his social media posts than pretty much any other uh candidate around the country. Similarly, something that we wrote about in our newsletter a couple weeks ago, was Beto O'Rourke running in Texas? Actually, is is really firing up liberals on Facebook in particular and getting tons of engagement, far outpacing pretty much any other candidate for governor, um, which was a little unexpected for me. You know, you thought like his twenty eighteen race was a really huge uh, sign of enthusiasm for him, but but this cycle, he's actually doing a really great job engaging folks online as well. Um, when you look. Elsewhere, the one bright spot that I've seen for Republicans um, has been these far right, you know, fringe gubernatorial candidates running in places like uh, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and even Minnesota, where Scott Jensen's kind of a joke. But, um, you know, these these campaigns, whether it's Carrie Lake or Doug Mastriano. Are receiving just tons of grassroots shares and comments and, and likes and, and people are really talking about them on Facebook. It's not all positive, but, but that is a sign that, you know, far-right Republican grassroots-based supporters are kind of addicted to Facebook and Facebook is sharing them this red meat content from these candidates uh, that they want to see. So as a result, those, those far-right gubernatorial candidates are getting sometimes 10 times as many interactions as their, their democratic opponents. Um, whether that will translate to votes, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, particularly in a couple of places like Minnesota. I know, you know Scott Jensen's way behind, but, um, but the Mastriano example is, is super interesting to me. You know, we uh, saw yesterday there was a report in McClatchy about Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, not having spent a single ad dollar on television ads this cycle, which is insane for a swing state gubernatorial campaign. And and similarly, we have not seen him spend a single dollar on Facebook ads. So his campaign is basically, you know, word of mouth and local events. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see if that pays off for them.
0: Yeah. And his local events, they don't allow the press in, So right. there is yeah, no earned media. Out of this, it's it's all speaking to the same uh, base. Is there any way that you could tell the overlap between the 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 universe of people who are sharing these far right candidates stuff and say QAnon?
1: You know, uh, that's not something that we typically track, but uh, I'm sure that there is. Quite a bit of that, um, particularly, you know, the comments section of some of these candidates' campaign posts are vile, pretty terrible places, uh, you know, whether it's talking about immigration or whatnot. Um, so the issues that these campaigns, particularly Carrie Lake and Mastriano, uh, have been sharing getting the most engagement on have been predictably things about, like, denying Uh, the 2020 election results and, and things like that, um, which Facebook allows these campaigns to post. So.
0: Yeah. Revolting. Okay. Um, What about dark money? Where is, where is that coming from? And what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, like I said, Republicans are, are really lacking in terms of digital spending on the candidate front, but they're kind of being made up for with, Conservative dark money groups are, are kind of filling that gap, um, at least in in a couple places. If you look at Ron Johnson's campaign in Wisconsin, Wisconsin is seeing, from what I can tell, in terms of digital advertising dollars on YouTube and Facebook, the most investment in dark money dollars on the right is going to you know beef up Ron Johnson's reelection prospects. So they're you know flooding Wisconsin voters' Facebook feeds with uh, positive. Uh, Ron Johnson advertising, ripping Mandela Barnes as either a socialist or a radical or whatnot. And that may pay off. You know, a lot of voters are not going to know who these groups are that are just popping up in their feeds. But they're going to see negative news articles. They're going to see negative videos about Mandela Barnes. They're going to see positive bio spots of Ron Johnson. And so Wisconsin is definitely a place to watch for dark money groups. There's one uh, national Republican group called One Nation, which is spending around a million dollars a week on digital advertising. About 50% of that is going to Georgia, and about 30-40% of that is going to Wisconsin. And So we're keeping an eye on them as well.
0: And you know, the thing about being a dark money group is it's hard to know where the money comes from. But do you have any, is there any visibility at all?
1: No, I mean, I I think uh, there's one group in particular in Wisconsin called Wisconsin Truth Pack, which is backed by a couple sort of like nefarious, right wing billionaires. But it's extremely hard to track. Some of these groups create other groups that then create other groups with different brands. Uh, on, and, and both sides kind of do this a little bit. But uh, on the mm-hmm. Republican side, particularly in Wisconsin and Georgia, we've seen uh, it, it on steroids this year. And, and like I said, Republicans are having real trouble, particularly with their U.S. Senate candidates, in terms of fundraising and support. And so you have these D.C.-backed groups Folks that are affiliated with Mitch McConnell and others that are coming in to try and rescue these, uh, these campaigns in Pennsylvania, even where a lot of folks assume John Fetterman is ahead, he is being completely inundated by Republican dark money that is trying to shore up Dr. Oz, who's seen by many as a really weak candidate. So it's, it's a long time until election day. Most voters don't start paying attention until about now, until after Labor Day and, uh, and, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Just as a reminder of that point. Yeah, at this point in uh, in 2018, I think Democrats were winning the Tennessee U.S. Senate race in the polls. And, and then the candidate there ended up losing by 10 points. So anything yeah. can happen. And and it's really interesting to kind of watch and see how things are changing. Uh,
0: from time to time, I um, catch up with people in Iowa. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you know, a year ago it was – the incumbent senator, even though he's been there since uh, I think since the Senate was created, uh, he can't possibly he can't possibly lose. Right. But lately, I've heard people say that Admiral Franken is is uh, giving him a run for his money. Can you, is there anything on the digital side that might explain some of that?
1: Sure. There's the, the Iowa Senate is is super interesting to me because it wasn't on my radar. About two months ago, someone with knowledge of the campaign in Iowa reached out to me and was like, you should look at this. There's something happening in Iowa. I was a little skeptical because, like you said, Chuck Grassley has been the U.S. senator for for the state for decades and uh, and has never really faced a serious challenge. He's always won by double digits or something like that. So uh, looking at the race, though, Admiral Mike Franken uh, was not supposed to be the Democratic nominee that was supposed to be uh, former Congresswoman, Abby Frankenauer, Franken completely, you know, ran an upset insurgent campaign to win the primary a couple of months ago. And he did so by raising 80% of his entire campaign budget online. If you talk to folks that are consultants or, or campaign managers, it is almost unheard of to think that a campaign could raise 80% of their entire budget on Facebook and on the internet, which is just very wild. What that tells me is that there is so much excitement and enthusiasm around his campaign. Um, and as such, he's outspent Chuck Grassley by quite a bit when it comes to online spending. Now, will that translate to him winning in November? I'm not sure. I've spoken to a bunch of folks in Iowa who think that there may be a shot here, particularly if, if things in the news cycle change. Roe v. Wade is a big deal for everyone. But Mike Franken is firing up Democrats He's running against, uh, you know, sort of right wing propaganda like Fox News has made that a centerpiece of his campaign. He appears in his military uniforms on his ads, which is really polished and kind of, you know, kind of bucks Republican narratives about Democrats. So it's definitely one to watch. But I've been I've been really impressed with that race.
0: And how about Ohio? I mean, I did. Earlier in my show, I was talking to a reporter from there who said that. Peter Thiel's money wasn't enough. And now Mitch McConnell has dumped a pile of money on J.D. Vance. But Tim Ryan is holding his own.
1: Yeah, I I think Ohio, the Ohio Senate race between J.D. Vance and and Tim Ryan is the one race that I'm most interested in watching, because it is really a true test if Democrats can ever win back some of these factory towns or if sort of the post-Trump environment or the interregnum, whichever you prefer, is too far gone, you know. And so Tim Ryan is completely flipping Republican narratives on their heads, particularly online. He's running ads, you know, accusing his Republican opponent of wanting to defund the police, of being a wealthy elitist and out of touch. He's run ads talking about standing up to Barack Obama and agreeing with Donald Trump on trade issues and and other things like that. So, you know it's really wherever you stand on on those specific issues, it's really fun to see Republicans scrambling to to save the Senate seat. it's It's very a, a really strong tell of whether that seat is actually competitive. It is Mitch McConnell and other Republicans dumping money into the race because that means they're nervous. And it was not supposed to be a competitive race. Um, so the Marines campaign, they're, they're running a really strong digital first campaign, reaching different voters with different messages. Uh, and it may be paying off. I know he's been leading in the polls. Ohio is definitely, you know, trending redder and redder every cycle. So um, if he can actually pull something off, then, then this means that Democrats do have a chance to win back some of these communities that we thought were, were too far gone.
0: I think it's all really interesting. And, and this, this world that you're watching, every election cycle, it gets bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the Internet changes so quickly, right? So just two or four years ago, TikTok was not a place where political campaigns engaged. In 2020, for instance, I think the DNC and the U.S. government told campaigns to actively stay away from TikTok. Well, it's where millions and millions of American young people are getting their news and information. And now it's become a staple of digital engagement for at least Democratic campaigns. So, um, you know, the fact that the Internet changes so much, these campaigns have to change their strategies to keep up. And those that don't are going to be missing out on uh, on voters. They say, you know, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Like if you're not even trying to reach some of these young people, they're not going to consider voting for you. Um, so TikTok is one place uh, that we've seen this cycle. Uh, that's a good example of, of that. Um, Democratic campaigns from Gretchen Whitmer to Val Demings are on there trying to, to reach younger voters. Republicans are absent. Um, Snapchat is another example. I wrote my news, newsletter yesterday about political advertising on Snapchat, which is a you know, social media app that a lot of younger voters use. And what we found is Republicans again are missing in action. Democrats like Raphael Warnock, uh, Kathy Hochul in New York, others are spending tons of money to reach voters with persuasion, vertical video advertising, why Republic, or why young voters should vote for them. And Republicans are not even spending at all on there. It's it's really interesting because if you go back to two years ago. Donald Trump's campaign for reelection was was on all of these platforms, even though they're Republican, even though they don't have a chance to reach younger voters. They knew that they had to at least do due diligence to market folks in all these different places. And since then, Republicans seem to have have kind of lost that uh, and are just relying on television advertising in some cases, direct mail, radio. And that's about it
0: that's a that's surprising hey you you said something and i'm not sure everybody understands vertical video um yeah and anybody who uses a phone should know what this is but why don't you just tell everybody
1: exactly so increasingly folks are not paying attention to television and computer screens and are using just like how you're thinking about you using the internet you're scrolling on your phone all the time well a vertical video placed on, on your newsfeed on Facebook or, or whatever, on your mobile device, takes up your entire phone screen. It's a really great place to serve someone a political ad. Folks are going to be paying more attention there than they are on a TV commercial uh, is, the, is kind of the theory there. And so vertical video, this cycle has coincided with platforms like Facebook and Instagram also prioritizing serving people content in vertical video form. So in 2022 campaigns that are creating videos that are not like horizontal, like your traditional narrated political ads but are maybe straight to camera videos or, or, or things that are vertical oriented are going to be performing a lot better. They're going to be persuading more folks. They're going to be reaching more, more people. Um, on mobile devices. And so that's been a, a trend that we saw this cycle. You're going to see it a lot more.
0: And look, t- speaking now to those of you who are listening, who, I don't know, haven't commuted on a bus for a long time or or the L in, the, you know, in Chicago in the morning, if, if you're watching TV and a commercial goes on, you take a break, you change a channel, you walk, you get something to drink, you come back and you watch your show. If you're stuck on the train and a video comes on that's interesting, you're watching it. Period. Mm -hmm. So there's it's a very powerful engagement tool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Folks are glued to their phones. That's uh, that's been a thing for a while. And so campaigns should recognize that that sort of consumption habit and understand how to reach folks there.
0: Yeah. Do you see these efforts and I'm just speaking about young voters there's mm-hmm. their there efforts to persuade, but are there efforts to um, turn out voters, to get people to actually Absolutely. show up? Where are those coming from? From the campaigns yeah. or somewhere else?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. So on the on the left. Democratic campaigns have been running primarily fundraising and persuasion advertising, trying to tell folks why to vote for them. But what we're going to see in about a month or so when ballots start to get ready to be mailed out, if they're uh, Mm -hmm. doing mail ballots um, or election days approaching a whole host of groups on the left are going to be running ballot chasing advertising or, you know, G.O. TV, what we call get out the vote, advertising, telling people where their are uh, where their places to check their voter registration, things like that. And that will come from tons of nonprofits on the left, but also the campaigns themselves. That's kind of a, a feature of Democratic politics is this massive apparatus of groups, organizations, individuals, campaigns that invest in get-out-the-votes mobilization efforts. This is really important for Democrats because our voters tend to be younger Mm -hmm. and maybe don't turn out as much, particularly in the midterms. Younger voters historically Mm -hmm. don't turn out as much in the midterms. Uh, Republican voters always turn out, whether you ask them to or not. So it's really important for our side to be running these types of ads, whether it's uh, targeted ads on streaming platforms, on facebook on instagram snapchat uh campaigns with partnerships on TikTok, uh telling folks where their polling place places and and why and how they should go up turn out the vote so that's gonna be a huge thing from now until election day
0: uh, kyle i always learn so much talking to you I, are you uh, do you have competition who else looks at this <laughs>
1: That's a great question. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think we have too much competition. There are some really great reporters at uh, the New York Times, Politico, other places that do report on uh, the intersection of the Internet and politics. Um, and every once in a while, you'll see some really interesting stories about different dark money forces or actors online. Uh, and I always love reading those, too. But um, particularly this in-the-weeds tracking stuff of elections, uh, we're just excited to be doing that. Through the election and, and beyond, um, but yeah, it's going to be—it's been a super interesting year, and excited to see how it turns out.
0: And are there new um, new as the internet keeps changing? So does the so do the data sets available to you? So do I think do the tools to understand what's going on? Are there sort of new um, things that you will be able to measure? And what what do you want to be able to measure that today you can't?
1: I hope so. I I think the the thing that is most interesting to me is not necessarily the digital ad spending because anyone can throw a million dollars at some ads and it's kind of like casting things out into the abyss, but I'm most interested in seeing how folks are responding, engaging with content online, sharing content, talking about an issue. Um, And so currently we're able to see that on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is actually not excited about that fact, uh, it facebook the company meta behind facebook really doesn't appreciate the fact that reporters and researchers like myself are able to see their top performing content because a lot of times it's pretty bad content or maybe it's misinformation so facebook is supposedly going to be ending access to these types of tools after election day um and, and that's a, a real travesty. I, I think really what um, folks should be paying attention to is what are their neighbors sharing their friends and their family sharing and their newsfeed and on Instagram. And where's it coming from? Is it coming from a local news site? Is it coming from the Heartland signal? It's coming from Floresworth or is it coming from a random actor that no one's ever heard of that maybe has a million followers? And, and can we trust that, that actor? So uh, I'm, I'm really interested in in sort of the the forces that influence our politics and how they're reaching people.
0: Well, thank you for sharing this with us. And um, I'm going to be really interested in following these races that you talked about today and seeing, I mean, I just can't believe what you told me about like Mastriano spending nothing and hoping to do this all in this stealth mode. That's just crazy. but good for him. And I hope he goes down doing that. <laughs> um, Kyle, as always, it's a, it's a great pleasure catching up. I look forward to our next conversation. And um, let's let's see where we get to.
1: Great. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good one.
0: Thank you. That uh, was Kyle Tharp, the co-founder and editor, lead writer, for what it's worth. And I just think this is fascinating stuff. We're going to take a break, maybe have some news. And... Uh, when we come back, uh, Jared Yates, Sexton, an author and a very interesting sort of political analysis analyst will join us. And of course, later on, I'll take your calls. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendrath a-